Sometimes there is, sometimes there isn't. Uh, so uh, just a reminder, you have the um, paper assignment, right? It's available on the download site if you don't have a copy of it yet. So be sure to go get it. Uh, your paper is due, actually not for a while. Uh, nope, it's not due until week nine after Memorial Day. Yeah, but I recommend getting started on it early. Yeah, right, like that's going to happen. Um, in addition, uh, we'll have, you'll have your exam on uh, Monday. Uh, the study guide's available on the downloads web, download website also. Um, and then um, next Wednesday, I'll talk about the creative project that you'll be embarking on. So. You so, uh, yeah, so, well, and of course, you can always use the computers there in the library, too. But. Um, okay, so, schizophrenia, we, um, I, I've got two more uh, video clips to show you of individuals who have schizophrenia. I hope we can get to mental retardation and pervasive developmental disorders. If we can't, it's not that big of a deal. I don't have that much to add that's not in your textbook. Um, but if you have questions about stuff in the textbook, we can talk about it. So let's take a look at Peter. Uh, Peter uh, was diagnosed with the disorganized subtype of uh, schizophrenia. And uh, I think his, uh, his video gives you a pretty good illustration of how the thinking, notice how the thinking is um, just kind of disconnected and unorganized. Um, fundamentally, it's, um, it's this very sort of disorganized experience in his thoughts. Um, he's going to tell you about a um, grand plan that he has for producing power. And it actually sort of kind of makes sense, but it, you know, it's just all kind of weird and disconnected. So uh, he, I believe, uh, was homeless. And it, while they were filming this, he was not taking his antipsychotic medication. So it gives you a good sense of the, of the actual experience of psychosis. Hopefully it'll play OK. going to do its little waiting game here. Come on, Peter, you can do it. Didn't we go through this last time? Schizophrenia consists of a group of psychotic disorders characterized by profoundly distorted thoughts, perceptions, and moods. People who suffer from schizophrenia often exhibit bizarre behavior and withdraw from the world around them. There are several subtypes of schizophrenia. In this video, you will see why Peter has been diagnosed as suffering from the subtype called disorganized schizophrenia. People with disorganized schizophrenia often express incoherent thoughts and ideas. 
Note that although Peter's individual sentences are grammatically correct, taken as a whole, his thoughts are rambling and often incomprehensible. I got TV tooth, I call it. TV tooth is when they surprise you and they put little needles in your scalp. And they listen to you for years if you know it or not. Really? I didn't know it. And they have this really fantastic, expensive equipment they touched me with. It's, uh, they said to me, uh, hey, we can, uh, we can uh, check your head, you know, for, uh, um, if your bump shows up bruised and, you're, and the electricity's a little different across the scalp of your scalp, we'll guarantee Social Security from that injury or on its own. It's considered like super palsy, but it's must it be it would be uh, muscular dystrophy kind of thing. And so uh, I said, no, I don't think about it. And the next day he back and says, did you think about it? You know, give me right, you know. And all that. Well, okay, I'll look at it. Okay, let's go. And they put the needle in. The last one they put in, they went like this. So when they did it. I had a thought that when they pull them out, they pull them out burnt, but they left a little teeny little barb in all, every one of the places they put me. And they recorded it. And one person who wanted it didn't. Someone else sold it to someone else. I don't know who, but um, they're able to give a response back because of the, the how thick the dental is in my teeth. How thick the dental is. And with the, uh, the needles, they're easy to focus a heavier field of pickup reception because of all the fillings I got. And so I am. Uh, Who's listening? I, um, I think it's people like at Stanford and uh, technicians, uh, wealthy technicians wealthy technicians and people that do stuff like NASA or any of that kind of stuff. Ames Institute. I came right up to them and tried to sell them that last little one. But for the amount of money they didn't have, I should have just gave it to them. <laughs> I like watching uh, Dr. Uh, I mean, Mr. Rogers, and I like uh, my family, and I know it was a problem where my dad would just say, Peter, just go leave him alone because of the way the situation was. He never had too many arrests, so I know when it's got to go. A little out of rough-ups, you know. You know. Hey, what'd you do that for? Why did you go like this first? I wanted to make it green. You know, you don't go to my friends, right? And they make it all green spot there, you know? <laughs> Awful, you know, but... Uh, uh, that's just how adorable we were. <laughs> Peter prides himself on his architectural ability and spends many hours designing tools and even communities that he believes will help solve social problems. In the following interview, he discusses some of his recent ideas.
I kind of go out and I get those things I was talking about. And I come back and we spend the time just filming them and I tell what they are. Sure, that I'm, I'm into architecture. Okay. Concepts written here okay. is a factor, a factor solved where you can actually get your, your turbines running by, by these many gen motor generators, generators, no, these are generators creating enough current to turn a master turbine to run a whole power source without a dam okay. or without solar energy. And um, I spent off and on many years in college and finally got this for an answer. It can, uh, it's a briefing look. This is explanation for how when the generators spin and they have a motor there that spins, one of the generators gets, feeds the uh, motor, which in turn runs a whole series of these generators once it gets going. And it has a lower point where you can start to get it going. And here's the big time generator bringing you all the juice you want by, by when you get this chain, change of, of, uh, chain, <laughs> the, the chain uh, to spin this generator. Okay. When you spin it, it creates a current. Now this ser preceding series of motors and generators is run, turns into perpetual motion for you once you start it by spinning a generator to get the motor going. And then when the motor gets going, it turns a series and one of the series generators brings back electricity to the motor and keeps it going. And so that's instead of using a riverbed at all. So when uh, uh, you, uh, when a hydro nuclear power plant or when an atomic power plant starts to wear down and they need to store water and they need another source of electricity, they have. If I was to remove trees and replant them somewhere else in land that I bought, I would do it for the name of the tree, the nature of the tree, and all this here. And uh, with that happening, uh, I put a new one in its place so the house and the street look a little farther apart from their normal with a big tree taking up and making it a hollow, a happy hollow for Batman and Robin and, and, and like the beginning mechanics and girl, I can see you that far away, you look more interesting. Can I come up? You know, it'll all disappear, a whole lot of social problems. If I do it my way, me. My way is I remove the tree and I take care of the tree and I pay them like $400 towards their rent if I had money. <laughs> Peter is currently living in a shelter for mentally ill and homeless people. While he is disconnected from many aspects of reality, you will see that he remains aware of issues of social interaction. Note the loose associations in his cognitive behavior. I need a rest. You know, my machine needs rest. <laughs> Things and wonder what it would be like. 
freedom like champagne. <laughs> you know, uh, I'm authentic. But I may need to find someone more around around. I'm actually being injured in my crutch, but it's not impossible. But I thought sexual therapy is something I never studied. And and what kind of clinics have for such things like that? And I said, well, you know, just be, just go get a girlfriend, you know. Talk to her, you know. Start talking, maybe get some more. It takes longer with you. Yeah. yeah. So, need to wash my hair, too. Oh! Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm not the best comedian, but I'm glad to spend time with you. I'm Peter Hassinger, and I'll probably be staying in Oregon most of my life. Oh, you want to hit that light? <clears throat> so any uh, comments about that? Yeah, I just have a question. Um, do they find that the disorganized subtype is more prone to violent crime? And no. Um, I don't know what the associations are between crime rates and different uh, subtypes of schizophrenia. Um, uh, you know, the the general public has um, a perception of mental illness in general, especially schizophrenia, as being um, uh, an illness that has a lot of criminal behavior, a lot of um, homicidal behavior, violent behavior, and it really, the, the prevalence is really not that much different, I don't think. Oh. Right. Uh, well, um, first of all, rape is uh, not a crime that involves sexual. Um, uh, you know, people don't don't rape because they want to have sex. It's a whole different motivation, but. Um, yeah, based on power relationships. Um, you know, I just don't know the data. Yeah, it'd be interesting to to see that. I don't think there probably is much of a difference. Um, this third clip is a fellow named uh, Isidore, and Isidore has a form of schizophrenia called uh, the undifferentiated subtype. And um, it's kind, it's, this subtype is kind of a catch-all subtype for behaviors that don't seem to fit any of the individual subtypes. And of course, we talked about the idea that the subtypes in general uh, really aren't that useful. Um, but this will give you another view into a different form of behavior. Isidore has been diagnosed as suffering from undifferentiated schizophrenia. In this subtype, there is no distinct pattern to the individual's behavior. In the following interview, Isidore describes the origins of his disorder. He explains that a stressful encounter with the supernatural may have contributed to the gradual onset of his disorder. Later in the interview, Isidore describes auditory hallucinations that he experiences and describes his efforts to communicate with this unseen person. Isidore is currently receiving treatment and is living on his own in a sheltered living environment. In 1991, I became sick. What happened? 
Okay, the, before this happened, before this happened, before ever I was sick, I saw a vision of Jesus. It wasn't just like my own imagination or anything, but I'm convinced that was a vision because I've never been sick then. One, two o'clock in the morning on my window, I saw him, and he looked like the shroud of Turin. And he spoke to me and he said that I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And he said, um, little flock, do not worry. The Father is ready to give you the kingdom. So it, it was really a shock to me because I didn't experience all this when I was in Nigeria. I never did. So it was a shock to me. I'm not saying it's what made me sick, though. But the meeting was when you encounter the metaphysical or the supernatural, not everybody will be able to handle it. So I really couldn't handle that. Yeah, it was too much for me. And uh, it was like after that, I was waking up every three o'clock, in three o'clock in the night. So after this, when we, uh, I was so out of this world in Chicago that when we were flying back, Instead of a normal airplane flying in the air, I felt we were flying inside the ocean. That's how I felt. I was praying and you know, praying in tongues sometimes that the superior was saying, what are you doing? I said, I'm praying. And then I saw like a war going on all over the place with different countries of Europe and all over the world. It seems like these flashes of, like a Star Wars, Solar War kind of thing going on and the struggle is not to go to heaven but the struggle is is like taking over earth planet earth so that was this big struggle you know when i came back they put me in the hospital not a mental hospital psychiatry they said is it that you haven't slept you haven't rested you haven't drunk you haven't eaten all you have been doing is praying and so I was in Braham Hospital in Boston and I was there for a whole night. When I was there, too, I was in a different existence. Yeah. Yeah. So um, they gave me shots to make me to sleep. I couldn't sleep. I was like climbing different steps. It's like a sort of world, and you start seeing yourself in different existence. By going one step after the other, like a big building, and seeing people, colors, blue, white, yellow, and seeing different things. And I was wondering, is this what heaven is like or what? Uh, and then, I didn't know, but the next time I woke up, I was in a mental hospital. Yeah. So that was the greatest shock of my life. Uh, sometimes I ask, what is your name? Like, I was in um, a vision. It was like a dream and vision. I was sleeping, and this is before I came in. So, I was, f this person was like on top of me, but the body was like made of gold. It's not like human body. So, we were like, we were wrestling or something. Like that. <laughs> That's what it looked like. And then, normally if I'm sleeping and people knock or do any small thing, I wake up. My cousin said he came to my apartment and was knocking and knocking for 30 minutes that I didn't get up. Normally if people do that, I will wake up like that. So at the end, I asked this being, what is your name? Then he said, my name is Willie. 
and then disappeared. That was it. Yeah. I do. I think it might be trying to tell me that God wants me to do His will. Yeah. I can hit that light back there. Any uh, comments on that? I'm sorry, Victor. You had a question earlier. I had a question about the first. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, if, if the medication uh, is effective in uh, clearing up those dissociations in his cognition, then yeah, sure. Yeah. So he wouldn't be able to make sense of what he's done? Uh, well, make sense of what doesn't make sense. Yeah, no, I don't think so. Yeah, no more so than you would be able to. You know, you look at it, what he what he has there, and it's sort of like kind of sort of makes sense, but, you know, of course the engineering's all wrong, but, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just, uh, back to the other guy, too. I was wondering mm -hmm. if his spelling techniques had anything to do with the disorganized aspect of the subtype or if it's I don't know. No. Um, I don't know what if typically disorganized uh, schizophrenia has problems in spelling. Typically the grammar and everything is generally okay. Um, and I, so I would suspect it's education more than the disease, yeah. But I'm not sure. Was this last guy, was he aware that he's been diagnosed with undifferentiated schizophrenia? Was he aware of that? That's a good question. Because I don't, don't know if he really considered I don't no, no, I wouldn't think so. Yeah, when you're when you're in the delusion, everything is normal, but it's abnormal, obviously. Yeah. Um, okay, so diagnosis in schizophrenia. We talked a little bit about diagnosis last time. Uh, the DSM-4 requires that the symptoms of schizophrenia be present for at least six months, and the acute symptoms have to be there uh, for at least uh, a month. The acute symptoms being, um, you know, the very um, immediate kinds of uh, behavioral problems and cognitive problems with, that are associated with schizophrenia. Uh, it also, the DSM also says that there has to be a significant impairment in occupational, social, or um, occupational functioning. Occupational, social, or personal. And um, the, the interesting thing about the schizophrenia diagnosis is that if you have um, a major depression or manic or some sort of a mixed episode disorder, then um, if those have occurred concurrently with the schizophrenia symptoms, then we've got a different diagnosis for that. And also, we always um, rule out substance use disorders in any kind of a, um, a diagnosis of a psychological disorder. Uh, one substance use disorder that will cause uh, symptoms like paranoid, the paranoid form of schizophrenia, 
is uh, amphetamine psychosis. Um, and fortunately, after you discontinue the amphetamines, usually uh, the symptoms uh, will go away, those psychotic symptoms will go away. Questions on that stuff? Most everybody's done scribbling. Um, now, as I said, there are some disorders that also have some of the symptoms of schizophrenia or schizophrenia-like symptoms, but they fall under a different diagnosis, and mostly because the treatments for those disorders will tend to be uh, different than the treatments for, uh, for the schizophrenia uh, disorders. And so when we make a differential diagnosis of disorders that have psychotic episodes, um, most disorders will have a particular diagnostic code that says, um, for example, um, major depressive disorder with psychotic features. Because uh, it's not just schizophrenia that, uh, where we can see psychosis occurring. Um, now, uh, there are some particular disorders which are similar but different than schizophrenia. Schizoaffective disorder um, is where you have schizophrenia uh, symptoms concurrent with symptoms of a uh, mood disorder. And it requires that those schizophrenia symptoms be present for at least two weeks and during that two-week period, you can't have uh, symptoms of the mood disorder. So if you have a major depressive disorder and the person is exhibiting schizophrenia, um, there has to be a period of time uh, where for at least two weeks that they don't experience depression, but they do have uh, symptoms of schizophrenia. Another disorder that uh, is similar but has a different diagnosis is called delusional disorder. Um, now, schizophrenia, remember, has uh, both bizarre, uh, typically bizarre and non-bizarre hallucinations that are involved, or delusions. And in delusional disorder, those delusions are always non-bizarre. And in schizophrenia, the impairment in social, occupational, or personal functioning is very global. It affects all areas of the person's life. Whereas with delusional disorder, uh, it typically will only affect those parts of the person's life where they have delusions. So if they have delusions involving work, those uh, uh, impairments will typically only occur in those, uh, in those uh, areas. 
And then brief psychotic disorder essentially is what happens if you have some sort of symptoms that match schizophrenia, but they're only around for uh, uh, a month at the most. Um, and if they resolve after a month, then, uh, then it's not considered schizophrenia. And the antipsychotic drugs will generally take a few to several weeks to take effect anyway. So by the time you give somebody the antipsychotic drugs uh, and they start working, um, the disorder will be gone. So. Questions on that? Okay, um, where does schizophrenia come from? Uh, the current thinking is uh, that there is some biological predisposition for schizophrenia. Uh, strong evidence of a genetic predisposition. This data is from a, a meta-analysis by Thomas Bouchard, published in 2004. And he finds that um, about 80% of the variants uh, between twin pairs um, in whether they develop schizophrenia or not can be explained by genetics. That means that uh, about 20% is explained by um, environment. And so that's this idea of the biopsychosocial model. We don't have just a biological factor. We've got the biology, the predisposition, the diathesis stress where you've got the predisposition and the additional factors of, uh, of the psychological coping and the social uh, pressures that are involved. There's also good evidence regarding brain abnormality uh, issues. First of all, <clears throat> uh, in people with schizophrenia, when we give them autopsies after they die, um, the brains are consistently have lower uh, uh, volume of brain tissue than normals. In addition, we also see these enlarged ventricles inside the brain. The ventricles in your brain uh, produce cerebrospinal fluid, which circulates around your brain and provides nutrients and w carries waste products away. Um, and those ventricles tend to be enlarged. They also tend to show um, higher levels of uh, dopaminergic activity and this, is, um, this involves receptors that are sensitive to dopamine, the neurotransmitter dopamine. Um, so it may be that they tend to have more receptors uh, or those receptors that exist are more active or more easily stimulated than in normals. And dopamine, remember, is the neurotransmitter that's associated with sort of uh, pleasure and um, uh, euphoria. And the f uh, fourth piece of evidence that comes into play with brain abnormality is that um, negative symptoms uh, tend to be associated with um, abnormal activity in the prefrontal cortex. 
Um, now, again, why these things are the way they are, is it, uh, is, it a, is it a factor that leads to the disease, or are some of these factors of the disease? Um, it's really unclear. Um, so uh, there's a lot more research yet to be done on this stuff. So aside from the biological, then we've got the psychosocial um, factors. And uh, one of the first proposals for why schizophrenia emerges comes from Sigmund Freud. And Freud proposed that um, schizophrenia was caused by what he called schizophrenogenic mothers. So mothers who um, uh, induced schizophrenia, essentially, in their children. How's that for a guilt trip, huh? Um, and so he identified the characteristics of these mothers that they tended to be very rejecting of their children. Um, they also uh, uh, were prone to regression. Um, so the regression is the idea that you regress to uh, an earlier stage in uh, development when you didn't have these, psych these uh, uh, sexual conflicts. Um, and he also proposed that these mothers had um, ego dysfunctions. So they had a difficult time managing the conflict of the id and the superego, right? The behavioral uh, model says that um, uh, the symptoms of schizophrenia are reinforced from operant conditioning. And so the idea here is that there's a reinforcement involved in um, attending to stimuli that are irrelevant in your environment and um, disattending to relevant stimuli. So this is why people with schizophrenia, it was proposed, are out of touch with reality. They're just paying attention to the wrong things and they get some sort of reinforcement from that. Um, the cognitive perspective says, um, most likely, these brain abnormalities that we see in the biological model are uh, uh, result in this sort of bizarre perceptual experiences that people have. So the hallucinations, uh, the delusions. And then finally, the family systems model uh, says that uh, family systems have people in roles. And if people step out of those roles, what happens is the family system has to put them back into those roles. And so uh, one of the psychiatrists who proposed some of these ideas was R.D. Lang. And Lang proposed that, um, that, fa that families of people with schizophrenia were actually the uh, cause of these people's bizarre behavior. And um, so he published uh, a number of books. This is probably the most relevant, uh, Sanity, Madness, and the Family. And so he profiles these different families and how their family system actually encourages the development of the uh, symptoms. So um, most of this stuff, with the exception of the cognitive perspective, is really uh, discredited and doesn't have any real good evidence behind it, scientific evidence. So the, the main perspective is the idea of the biology, the biological predispositions, and then the psychosocial uh, stressors and coping that um, 
that result in schizophrenia. Questions on these ideas? Let's talk about uh, treatment. So uh, the main, the first line sort of uh, treatment for schizophrenia symptoms, when someone comes in and they're experiencing delusions and hallucinations, um, the first thing you have to do is try to get them back into your objective reality or your subjective reality, I guess. And uh, the way to do that is through the use of antipsychotic drugs. Um, the antipsychotic drugs work primarily from blocking uh, dopamine and serotonin receptors. So it raises the levels of uh, dopamine, raises the levels of serotonin. Um, the neuroleptic class of antipsychotics, which are sometimes also called the uh, classical antipsychotics, um, work uh, pretty quickly. Um, within, a, within several weeks, you've got um, remission of the symptoms. So that's the good part. The bad part is they have associated with them one of the um, side effects of tardive dyskinesia. Tardive dyskinesia uh, is motor, um, motor muscle uh, control problems. So it'll oftentimes take the form of tics, facial tics, uh, maybe uh, muscular tics like that. Um, and for a long time, the neuroleptics was all we had to treat uh, schizophrenia. And uh, not too long ago, a newer class of uh, antipsychotics came on the market, the, what are called the atypical antipsychotics. And the nice thing about the atypical antipsychotics is that there are fewer uh, motor disturbances involved. So you don't get these uh, these strange uh, motor movement issues, but we do see um, problems with weight gain on the atypical antipsychotics. So, uh, and obesity is obviously a major consideration. You don't want to create one disease, you know, solve one disease and create another one. Um, so, um, and the atypical antipsychotics work much better in treating the negative symptoms of schizophrenia. So the withdrawn, um, the withdrawal and uh, inward kind of symptoms. Um, in addition to the antipsychotics, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy can work once someone is not any longer delusional then um, then you can start working with uh, cognitive behavioral therapy to help them start um, developing the behaviors that they need to function well uh, in their environment. And then there are also some newer therapies, specialized therapies for schizophrenia, which mostly involve um, helping people develop the life skills that they may not have developed when they were uh, symptomatic. Um, and then also um, the ability to start um, uh, developing the cognitive capacities, again, that may have been disrupted during the illness. So both of these uh, tend to work pretty well, but they're relatively new, so there's not a lot of data for them. And then, you know, the issue is that this is not just 
a disease for the individual because the family has been affected by by the disorder and it has a strong effect on other people in the family so um, oftentimes family therapy is used uh, in addition to try to reintegrate the person into the family system to try to help the family system accommodate this new person right um, and to help help that person stay in treatment one of the big problems with schizophrenia is that the tardive dyskinesia effects or the weight gain effects with the antipsychotics are really undesirable and so people will stop taking their medication once they're normal right so once they're del not delusional anymore um, it's very tempting to not want to take the medication so it's really important for the family to help the person with um, medication compliance um, so that they don't uh, fall off the wagon so to speak No, uh, the question is, um, once someone uh, has had remission for a period of time from the symptoms while they're taking antipsychotics, when they stop a taking antipsychotics, do they recognize that they're becoming delusional again? Typically not. Um, they, life will just seem normal to them and you know other objective observers will notice that their behavior is becoming more bizarre or disorganized yeah yeah plus it kind of sneaks back in it's not like they stop taking the medication one day and they're floridly psychotic the next um, Well, we didn't uh, get a chance to talk about mental retardation or pervasive developmental disorders. I don't have much to say about that anyway uh, that's not in your textbook. Um, the only things that I will say is um, pervasive developmental disorders are known as the autistic spectrum disorders because there's a wide range of symptoms that are involved from uh, you know very impaired communication, very impaired social functioning, very impaired learning to uh, people that are only mildly impaired in those areas uh, but may have um, you know behavioral tics and um, uh, but otherwise are, are really quite functional uh, in the Asperger's uh, range, for example. So, um, so it can be quite variable. Um, the treatments, um, the best treatment for uh, autism, really the only one that shows any clinical effectiveness is uh, applied behavioral therapy or applied behavior therapy, uh, applied behavior analysis, I should say. And that is basically just operant conditioning, um, providing rewards when, when they engage in desirable behaviors and not providing rewards when they don't. And so it's really just training the person up to engage in appropriate behaviors. And there's some controversy about it because um, it's unclear to what degree that will flow over into, you know, will generalize to other 
uh, areas that aren't being actively trained with operant conditioning. Um, so basically, are you just sort of training, uh, 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 you know, a person like you would a dog to, you know, behave the way you want them to, uh, or is there something going on inside that's changing their cognitions? Um, really unclear. Um, uh, the treatment is also very difficult to determine what is going to work because each individual responds very differently to different treatments. For some people, for example, uh, SSRI antidepressants help dramatically. Um, for other people, they don't do a thing. For some people, um, you know, cognitive therapy works. For others, it doesn't. So it's really, um, it's really quite variable and a very difficult uh, disorder to treat. Um, any questions? I think you're ready for the exam. So I'll see you on uh, Monday. Study well.